0: Hey friends, wanted to let you know about a new feature we have for you on the podcast. You can now leave us a voice message by clicking the link in the show notes for this episode. We want this podcast to help you. If you have a question about making disciples in the harvest or a topic you'd like our team to cover on the show, click the link in the show notes or visit us at speakpipe.com slash into the harvest. When you leave us your voice message, take 15 seconds to introduce who and where you are, and then maybe 30 seconds or so to ask your question. We will get these messages and we'll feature you and your question on the show. It'll be a fun way to connect as a community and it will make the podcast more of a two-way conversation. So hit us up and leave us your question. Welcome into The Harvest, a podcast dedicated to helping you live and share your faith in the everyday places of life. Today I'm joined by Susie Walther, founder of the Well Training Ministry in Tampa, Florida. Susie has a passion for seeing women come to faith, grow to maturity as followers of Jesus, and be trained so that they become kingdom difference makers in their families, their churches, and their communities. I've known Susie for 25 years and I respect and admire her devotion to Jesus and her heart for his people. She's a gifted leader and communicator and has decades of experience making disciples in the real world. We're also joined by Lindsay Papantonio for this conversation. Lindsay is the website and communications administrator for The Well and keeps Susie straight on her technology. Our conversation went long, so we'll be releasing it in two parts. On this episode, Susie shares the story of how she came to faith and how God shaped her over the years and gave her a vision for disciple-making. He also shares what led her to start the Well Training Ministry back in 2005. As always, we'd love to hear what you think about today's show. You can join the conversation over on our Facebook page in the comments for this episode. All right, well, Susie and Lindsay, it is a real privilege to have you ladies joining us today on the podcast, even though we're on opposite coasts. Uh, I love what you ladies are doing in the ministry there at the Well. And uh, it's a real privilege to be able to use technology to introduce you more fully to our community at Into the Harvest. So thanks for being here with us today.
1: We're glad to be here, Andrew.
0: <laughs> yeah. So Susie, um, you and I go way back. Um, <laughs> should we should we tell folks how long we've known each other? <laughs> yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> So I first, a long re- time. yeah, and some of those who have been following uh, Into the Harvest on Facebook for a while will remember that uh, Susie was on a Facebook Live with us earlier this year. We were talking about uh, living an ancient faith in modern times, and it was a real privilege to have Susie on. But we, we had mentioned then that uh, we've known each other since 1994.
1: <laughs> so.
0: That's so many years that I'm having trouble doing the math right now. But twenty-five,
1: it's, I think. Is that twenty-five? Oh yeah, it is twenty-five.
0: <laughs> and I should know that because I, uh, Cindy and I, married in in '94, so we just celebrated our uh, 25th anniversary. Yeah, you just but- lost
1: some cool points with Cindy <laughs> right there.
0: <laughs> no, she's unfortunately she's she knows how I am. So, um, but yeah, we've known each other for 25 years, and it's one of the joys of following Jesus. And when Jesus said that no one has given up uh, a house or wife or family for the sake of the kingdom, who will not receive back a hundred times in this life and in the age to come eternal life and uh, friendships like ours with, with you and Bob there in Tampa are are some of those return on investment relationships yes, yes. that uh, the Lord has given us. So it's been really It's been really neat to watch you guys continue to serve the Lord and and watch how he's guided you into a whole new season of contribution with uh, the ministry there in Tampa with the Well Training Ministry. Um, So I I wanna talk a little bit more about your ministry there and how the Lord has guided you, Um, but also uh, really, really glad to have Lindsay joining us. She also is part of the team there. (laughs) with uh, the well-training ministry and uh, Lindsay is involved in the social media side of of the Wells ministry which is something that we believe in quite a bit so it's a real privilege to have you with us as well Lindsay. Thanks. All right. Well, Susie Susie, let's uh let's just start a little bit more with with your own personal story because I know some of it but many in our audience and I I wonder if maybe even many of the women there at the well might not know your full story of, of what the Lord has done in your life in the past. So why don't you give us a thumbnail sketch of your journey through life and, and where the Lord intersected and brought you to faith? How did that all come about?
1: (laughs) Well, it is. And you know, it's your story or then a part of your story. Mm -hmm. So just a part of a little slice from my story. Um, bottom line I was um, I was raised in a Christian home in the sense that my family knew that they were not Buddhist they knew they weren't Hindus they knew they were not Muslims and they knew they were not Jews so that left Christianity and that's pretty much how deep Christianity went um, my only real exposure to God was really when we had I had my first communion and I had my confirmation and then for for whatever it's <laughs> worth my family would go to church on Easter Sunday. Don't ask me why, because my father at the time was uh, very much so a non-believer, but I think he allowed my mother to take us. And beyond that, it's really what I learned from, I don't know, Hollywood. Movies like Mm -hmm. Ben-Hur and Mm -hmm. The Ten Commandments and The Robe. And so through that, There was some impression in my soul that there was a God, but I just really didn't understand much about him beyond that. I didn't understand that there was an accountability to him. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand that I was necessarily created by him. So there was a whole lot lacking. Um, All I knew is that of all the religions out there, we were probably Christian. Mm -hmm. Um, And then (laughs) I, um, I remember... My first real encounter with the idea of meeting Christians, I had a Christian aunt and uncle who would give us um, Christian books at Christmas sometimes, which my father hated. And then I remember one time very distinctly in high school being invited to a church. And I went with this gal, but it was not a very positive experience. And so I never went back. Mm -hmm. And I don't really even know who she was and why she invited me and how I wound up there. But God began this journey. At 18, I joined the military. I thought I needed to have a Bible. It was sort of like a rabbit's foot. And so I had my rabbit's foot and I took off for basic training. And that was really all there was to to me and God and Christianity because then I went absolutely wild. Hmm. And um, it was when I got to Goodfellow Air Force Base that God began to do this work. Hindsight being 2020, 20, I realized he was doing a work. And it was with actually a party buddy of mine. She decided out of the blue, she was my roommate, that she wanted to go to church. And um, – the next day. This was like at three <laughs> o'clock in the morning. And so I told her, like, no, I'm not doing that. But that telling her no set something off in me. I don't know what it was, but it was, I mean, God meets you where you are. And I sensed that there was something very wrong with telling the God of the universe that I would not go to church. And so I made a pact. I will go to church every Sunday. I don't care how drunk I am or what time I come in or what I've done the night before, I will be at church the next morning. And Mm. I kept that deal. Sometimes I showed up at church in party clothes and and nobody questioned the way I looked or how I was dressed or anything. You know, I basically just showed up and nobody interacted with me and that's how it was. Mm. And that's my journey back. And then when I got to Germany, God brought me another roommate, and she was the one who really introduced me to the understanding that there was a Christ, that um, the life I was living was not the life that God intended me to live, Mm -hmm. that there was a way to live different, um, but I needed a redeemer. And I didn't understand that fully, but Mm -hmm. it was something in my heart that just resonated that um, Mm -hmm. I knew that I didn't like who I had become. I didn't like the way I was living. I didn't like the choices that I was making, but I didn't know how to get off. Um, that track. And so, um, she asked me a question that I'll always remember. She said, if Jesus is real, you're going to know it. And if he's not, you're going to know it. So what do you have to lose? And so, um, and at that point she led me into a believer's prayer, which she knew to do at the time. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I think I prayed that same prayer. I try to remember all the words and I say (laughs) every single night to make sure that it caught, you know, um, And that's really kind of my introduction to Christianity was just God began to use an army roommate. And then he Mm -hmm. used yet another army roommate to introduce me to himself. Mm -hmm. So that's where it began for me.
0: Yeah, I I love that because there's so many things that you already touched on that are near and dear to my heart. I mean, one is that God is active in the world today. And it's, it's so easy for us to sometimes lose sight of that. Uh, because we don't see him necessarily. Um, sometimes we he can be at work around us and we don't notice it. Oftentimes that's the case. But um, so many of our stories, as we look back, we can see over the trajectory of our life how the Lord was ordering events, bringing people into our lives at different times to, to nudge us, to point us uh, toward the path. Uh, and also, just working through our conscience—that's that's something that really stands out from what Which you shared. Which is what
1: he really did with me. He worked through conscience.
0: Yeah, he really, and, really did. Yeah, and I think we can we can really take heart in that. Sometimes, what the Lord has done in our life, we need to believe for others. We we need to understand that people who don't necessarily, on first glance, look as though they're close to the kingdom. We don't know the the backstory of what the Lord has been doing to prepare them and to be at work on the inside. You know, I think of uh, your statement of showing up to a Sunday service in your party clothes. Uh, <laughs> I do remember that story from your uh, from your testimony before. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you came to faith. It sounds like in your early twenties. Yep, the, I was
1: twenty years old
0: in the military. And, you know, what happened then? Because for so many believers, for so many Christians, it's, and and this was the case for me when I came to faith, I really didn't have a vision for what comes next. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was more of, okay, now I, I've decided that I, I not only believe in God in a very vague sense, but I'm, I'm believing that God has his eye on me and I do want to be pleasing to him. I want to belong to him, but in my life. Uh, once once I made that commitment to to surrender my life to Him, there was a big blank space in terms of what comes next. and And the only thing I really knew was that eventually when you die, there's a place called heaven. <laughs> and that's really what you're believing for. But I've since come to know that there's much more to yes. the Christian life than just believing and waiting for death or waiting for the return of Christ. So... <laughs> What was it that began to give you a vision for discipleship, a life of actively following Jesus?
1: So I would say that I'm kind of uh, I'm a little bit different than that, where I, I feel like God gave me a really strong beginning, and then I had a really weak middle where hmm. things really had the potential to fall apart um, for me in many ways. So Robin, who was the woman, my roommate, who led me to Christ, she also was the one that God really began to use to disciple me and establish me in the basics. Now hindsight being 2020 again, I didn't understand what she was doing. I didn't connect any of those dots. I had no context in which you know mm-hmm. through which to contact you know connect any of those dots but she was the one who um, introduced me to quiet time and Christian music and she, brought me and took me, put me in a Bible study, put me in a choir, you know, and she felt like if I was at a Bible study and I was in the choir, I was boxed in enough to be able to hopefully enough eyes were on sight to keep me in the church. Um, she would um, take me with her to do uh, evangelism, you know. Wow. I was on a post with 1,800 guys and there were 45 women. So it was pretty easy, honestly, <laughs> to strike up a conversation <laughs> With most of these guys, they would listen to anything you had to say if there was a chance that you might go out with them. So evangelism oh, in that context was pretty easy. Um, it was frightening because I didn't understand once again what I was doing and why I was doing it. But I had some sense that it this is some of what it meant to be a Christian. Um, and then yeah,
0: let, uh, me, let me ask you there, if you don't mind, like what, no, where did that come from? Where where did that that certainty or that confidence that that you were supposed to be out there representing Jesus. Did that come from this discipleship relationship that you were there in? There was or? no
1: certainty. I okay. was really taking that what, what, what Robin was telling me mm-hmm. was the truth. Um, she was real. She was somebody that was real. She was the only real Christian I had in front of me, and I just believed that what she was telling me had to be mm-hmm. what I was supposed to do. Um, yeah. And, but I was, I was very raw. And I was very new to all of this, and Robin was getting ready to PCS. The military was sending her to another post, and I began to slide a little bit. And um, and I, I actually wound up getting kicked out of the Bible study. So that's that's part of my story is that I, I Maybe was— Maybe that's I, what like... <laughs> I
0: remember from your story. Maybe— I think that is what I remember from your story that you got kicked So there are
1: not many navigator rejects, but I am one of them. And so. Oh, so this was a
0: navigator. Was this a navigator Navigator Bible Bible study study (laughs) Okay. That
1: was meeting on the post and the couple, the navigator couple that was leading the study was moving from the post to their home. And I was told that I, I could not, I could not come. I was Mm -hmm. not allowed to be in their home. And. Hindsight, once again being twenty twenty, I understand that this was a type of some kind of discipline. I'd been around for a couple of months, and they just felt like there was no for me. And I, you know, I didn't know that you shouldn't show up at Bible study with a cut off T shirt that said "Property of the Marijuana Research Department." I mean, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> who knew there was a way to dress? <laughs> I didn't know that I should come um, with my belly showing in my short little running shorts, you know, with my Bible study, my DFD stuck behind my back, you know. There's just certain things I didn't understand, and they just decided, we're done.
0: Wow. She ain't coming.
1: come back. <laughs> you know. And that was a wake-up call in some ways for me because I never – it was the first time that I felt like, you know, I could live in such a way that nobody would want me, you know. Um and so Robin left, and, but God was merciful. He brought this other couple through, and um, Dave and June Hayden, I'll always remember, and they were very evangelistic, very discipleship-oriented. They really believed in community, and they saw this little band of, of Christians um, that was, you know, I, I couldn't go to the Bible study at the church, so I was left to what was what was. What was left over in the fellowship hall on Sundays mornings, and we were a pretty rough crew, um, <laughs> of chapel Christians. And they asked the chaplains if they could lead a Bible study, and that really was transformational for me. I became a part of them. They picked me up. They picked up where um, Robin had left off in many ways, and they began to establish me just in the um, you know the importance of Christian community in some apologetics and theology. They helped me understand that Christianity was reasonable. So my, you know, that whole loving God with my heart, mind, my mind was involved now. You know, that it wasn't just an emotional thing. It wasn't just you're saved from sin. There's there's more to it. And so they added a piece to that beyond just doing some disciplines and some basics. They added some substance to it. Um, and they were very, very important as far as just helping me understand um, just the things in my own character that had to, that had to die that there was transformation mm-hmm. there was this thing called the character of christ you know mm-hmm. that he was lord and savior so big themes began to get unpacked um back at that time and so where robin was key in dis- uh, you know establishing me in some of the disciplines the haydens were really key in establishing me and just like i said the importance of community some theology some apologetics that allowed me to stay rooted and i would say that they mm-hmm. that sent down roots and what Happened in that time was really important because it. No matter how much I was still struggling with sin, no matter how much I was still struggling with the renewing of the mind, I was convinced that Christianity was the faith of all faiths to give my life to. I was. I became convinced of that, hmm. um, and so I stayed the course. They really um, exposed me. I, they were my first real experience with what I would call. Um, unconditional love, because I was really rotten back then, more rotten than I am now, <laughs> and um, and I, I, they never pushed me away. So where I had been rejected by mm-hmm. that first couple because I wasn't kind of good enough, and I right. didn't know how to get good enough. This was a couple that was invested in helping me change, you know. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't experienced that. The rejection I'd always experienced, mm-hmm. but somebody tarrying with me. I'd not experienced before. And that left a mark, and you know, mm-hmm. a, just an indelible mark um, that uh, there was something more to this faith, and that people in this faith were not perfect, and we right. wouldn't always make perfect decisions, but that didn't mean that the faith itself was not perfect.
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, one of the important truths that we, we need to grab hold of and keep in view for ourselves, but also for those that we're investing in and we're discipling who are in the next generation is, is that God is not looking for perfection. I, I truly believe that. That could be a controversial statement. Some people look at Matthew 5.48 where it says, therefore you shall be per- perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Um, but I don't, I don't believe God expects us to be perfect. Uh, that's why he sent Jesus. That's why we need Jesus. He does look for sincerity, and he looks for progress. Yes. And so in our own lives, I think uh, we need to be assessing not are we flawless, because if that's the standard, we're going to get discouraged real fast. And as we disciple others, we need to understand that that they are also flawed, that they're going to make mistakes, mm-hmm. sometimes uh, major mistakes. But And leadership to, will make mistakes oh yeah definitely yeah so but is there a sincerity and is there is there progress and it sounds like those were two qualities that that you had even in those early days
1: they did and they they really got me through and um all of this took place while i was with i was still in the military myself and then when i got out of the military that's when i entered into what i call my desert years within christianity Mm -hmm. um it was my first full-blown church experience uh, and the first couple of years of being in a, you know, civilian church uh, right. were very exciting because everything was new. I mean, I was mm. new not being a soldier anymore. This was new. I was in a new country. I was in the Virgin Islands. Everything was mm. new and everything was exciting and it was very different. But after two years of being there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday evening, I just began to just kind of the mm. the, the shine kind of came off. And there had to be something more, but I just didn't know how to get the more. And unfortunately, there wasn't anyone around me in my church that could help me understand that there was something more. And this was a season when I where I was I was really there was something that was being born inside of me, something was birthed. I, I knew that there had to be more to it, more to Christianity than just attending church and singing songs and taking really super good, you know, sermon notes. But I couldn't define it, and I began trying to do a Bible study with some people at my job that seemed hungry, but that was frowned upon by the church because it wasn't happening inside the walls of the church. Then there was a woman at church who seemed um, interested in just doing some accountability, and we began meeting with each other, and she she brought a friend, and there was like three or four of us. The church got wind of it and thought that we needed to have a deacon with us. We couldn't be doing this, we couldn't lead ourselves in reading the Bible and praying with one another. Hmm. There was about 40 or 50 single people at the church, and so I organized an evening, you know, so that we could all get together and actually know each other's name. It was so great that the next time everyone's like, when are we going to do this again? Hmm. Then I was told that there had to be a man over the ministry because I was a woman and I wasn't allowed to lead. any, And it just... Every time I tried something, there was that rejection again. I just, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't able to do it. I wasn't supposed to do it. And I just couldn't, No, I just couldn't do this anymore. I had a hard time believing that Jesus Christ left heaven so that I could go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday evenings. It didn't make sense to me anymore. Um, and I just, I was just like, God, I'm not sure I can stay the course. I'm convinced that you're it, but I, I can't do this. If this is Christianity, I can't do it. Hmm. And uh, he broke in. He broke in. Um, that was uh, when I met my husband, and I married a guy that was in the military, and we wound up at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, where I encountered Cecil Bean. And things began to come alive in my heart again. So it's sort of those things that God was doing in the early days through Robin and the Haydens and other Christians that, that where I was seeing discipleship, but I didn't know that's what it was. Cecil gave context to that. I had a way of understanding it. There was It was being defined for me. Um, I had words for what I had experienced that I didn't have before. I was able to understand, too, what broke down in the church, where why was I thriving in this environment? Why was I seeing others thrive? And it's because there was two things happening. There was expectation that they would be followers of Christ, and there was accountability to being a follower of Christ. Two things that there aren't in the church. There's no expectation beyond attendance, in some volunteer service and there's no accountability. You can sit in church for days and days and weeks and weeks and years in your sin, and somehow that's going to be okay. No one's really going to challenge that. But it was you couldn't really be an open sin or any kind of sin without somebody seeing it in a discipling community. And um, and I was coming alive and putting the pieces together. And what Cecil did there was he breathed life. He gave me an opportunity to to grow. He gave me an opportunity to figure some things out. He was equipping me, something that I hadn't experienced before, and it lit a fire. It absolutely lit a fire. And at the same time, God put me in another ministry that was military. Um, it was a Protestant Women of the Chapel. And so I was figuring out discipleship in this realm and, and what it meant to uh, utilize my gifts and grow in my gifts. But he was allowing me to practice that in this other realm that was Protestant women of the chapel. And through that ministry, he was also shaking off some denominationalism that had set in um, and was allowing me to understand that there could be such a thing called unity in the midst of diversity. He mm-hmm. was really fleshing out some things, you know, that sameness was not what God was after. You know, mm-hmm. there were core values. There were things that, that, that um, were were the same. Principally, that we were all in pursuit of as Christians—we, same kingdom, same gospel, mm-hmm. same mission—you know, the quest for discipleship. But there was a whole lot that he allowed um, diversity mm-hmm. to be expressed in, and um, and I was learning how to allow the diversity to breathe while also figuring out what the majors were, so we could major in the majors. And not major in the minors, so right. god these were two great proving grounds you know one where I was figuring out where denominationalism was kind of stripping some things away, and then yeah. also getting terminology and experience in what my heart longed for, which was this discipleship
0: yeah i've got this i've got this this view of of growth and and discipleship within the Christian life. And it, it goes like this, we, we, need, we really need clarity of vision, both at a, a purpose level, so I guess you might say at a uh, theoretical level, we need to know what is it that God is doing in the world, and what does he want us to be a part of? And there needs to be a clear vision for that in our lives, and many of us, few of us start with that. Uh, it's something that we need to be providing for the next generation but then there also needs to be a real clarity in terms of practice well how what are things that you can begin to do right now where you're where you are to begin to engage in that purpose and so if if you lack clarity around what the big picture is what is god's purpose in the world today then you're just lost you're sort of like where i was when i first started my journey you're just waiting for the next chapter Yes um you're at the bus stop waiting for the grave basically
1: <laughs> and you're just biding your
0: time. you really just don't know what you're supposed to be doing. On the other hand, if you have a if you have a, a sense of what that big purpose is, you've got some clarity on that but there isn't clarity on how you can begin to engage and be involved in that at a practical level, then you have discouragement. Because you know that there is something out there that you're supposed to be involved in, but you don't know how to get involved or you're not being allowed to get involved. So I wonder if you could give us some practical examples. When you got to Fort Campbell and met Cecil and Jeannie, what were some of the practical ways that Cecil began to challenge and encourage you to step out in faith and, and get involved in this mission that maybe you had been hindered from doing in your previous experience there.
1: Shockingly, he was—he he was just like, um, "Those women over there, you ought to be meeting with them." <laughs> huh? What me? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure I know what I'm doing. You know, start meeting with them, and I'll help you figure it out. You know, mm-hmm. so it was just the—I mean—the opportunity. He just, you know, there was opportunity all around, and he was like, "I'm, I'm, I'm not going to meet with them. I need you to be willing to go do that." Uh, Just being willing to sit down, uh, just the the letting me see his life, letting letting me see his marriage, you know, helping me. Just very practical, very real. It was very organic, you know. It wasn't charts and figures and and illustrations. It was it was conversation and what he. Reading in the word of God that day. And um, so what am I encountering with some of the women and what am I doing and where do I need help? And it was, I mean, it was just that it was just that um, he would also share that floor. He would share his platform to give uh, you others an opportunity to share devotions and stuff like that. And I mean, here was a man leading a ministry that said, Susie, I want you to share a devotion. What in front of some guys there are going to be guys there. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to share it in front of some guys, you know, and i would not encountered that in the church outside mm-hmm. of Dave Hayden. He was the right. only other guy that was like that, that, that kind of person who, who wanted to equip, who wanted to give people opportunity to grow. And, um, I think that was his greatest strength, honestly, was that he gave people opportunity to grow mm-hmm. and figure it out.
0: Yeah. A couple of that, that really stand out to me there. Um, one is, this is true of Cecil and Jeannie, and I think it's true of, of all great disciple makers, is they, they view the next generation not as um, people who are there to help with their ministry. Yes. You know, Cecil, I think, has always modeled that his purpose was to help grow and develop the next generation into their contribution, into their ministry for the kingdom. That's and a that great way of putting it. That, yeah, that, that was his ministry. That was, and still is. Uh, Cecil just visited with us two weeks ago, and it's just um, the older I get, the more I appreciate how rare and uh, how how privileged you know we've been to be invested in by someone like uh, Cecil and Jeannie. So I'll try not to get emotional here. But, <laughs> I, I
1: get it. I get it.
0: <laughs> but it's also where Jesus says, "To whom much has been given," I I, I feel that as well. That that as we Approach the the fifty year mark that we need to be giving. I'm, that. I'm
1: beyond that, but we don't. <laughs> yeah, we not talk about that. <laughs> no, you're, you're not.
0: You're not that far beyond, right? Um, but yeah, there's a there's a real responsibility now for us to be investing in the next generation and have that same attitude that they're not they're not here for us. We're here for them. Yes. You know, Paul said in Corinthians that he would most gladly spend and be spent. Uh, for the sake of the believers there in Corinth, that that was his mindset. But a second theme that really stood out from what you shared there is that it was not so much a program. No. There was not this structured program that that he needed you to plug in. And
1: There wasn't a step one, step two, step three.
0: Right. Yeah. There was really relationships that start making space in your life to invest in these other women. And that is going to be the curriculum. That is going to be the training because very quickly you're going to be in over your head. Yes. And then there was the availability to to spend time with you to talk through, well, how do we deal with these issues? And Yes. So that's, uh, that's some really great stuff. Now, you eventually, you and Bob ended up retiring, moving from Kentucky. And did you guys go straight to Florida at that point?
1: We did. We went to um, from from Fort Campbell, Kentucky, to Orlando, and then God said, "Nope, it's not going to be Orlando," and sent us to Tampa. So,
0: so tell me, tell me about the origin story for the Well Ministry, and I know it's the Well Training Ministry because that's a real focus for you, ladies. So mm-hmm. tell us also about what makes the the Well uh, Training Ministry unique in your mind. What is the unique contribution that you believe the Lord wants you you ladies to make for? the kingdom and for the church
1: so and Lindsay could probably add into uh, add on to this as well but the the ministry really began as a hybrid i mean as i was in that fort campbell ministry with the navigators there were certain things that were happening there and i just kind of chalked them up like you know if god ever gave me a ministry you know, I really, I would, I would really want to bring this element forward. And then when I was a part of Protestant Women of the Chapel, there was just a couple of things that we did there, and I was just like, hmm, if I, if I ever, if I ever had a ministry, you know, <laughs> there's a couple of things that I'd like to, I'd like to bring forward, you know, from that. And so I always, I called the well like a hybrid, you know, in some ways, um, God began to birth something I didn't even know it at that time. So when we came to Tampa, especially, um, I, I. I was still wrestling with how much of what I was doing or how much of what I did was the product of another man's environment. Was mm-hmm. it just that I was in a prefab home, you know, kind of a right. thing. How much of this was actually how God designed me. So there was a lot of, a lot of things that I was fleshing out, a lot of things that I was working out. But I, I do remember that there were just two things, <laughs> if anything, that I needed to pray that God would just, you know, reveal himself. And I needed to do what I was trained to do. Go look for a woman. And so with prayer and just choosing to notice, just striking out and um, just asking, just at learning to ask questions, inviting women to go out for coffee and just seeing if I threw something at the wall, would something stick, you know, um, and God, by his grace, brought a, a woman and we began meeting at the park and she began to grow and was very excited. There's a lot there. Um, she invited a friend who invited a friend who invited a friend and we began just Meeting And it was more in the sense of just most of the women that I was realizing at the time and all of these are women who were associated with the church and none of them were established in any of the basics. They were not having quiet time. They did not have a prayer life. They didn't know how to study the Bible. They didn't know how to talk about their faith on any Level and so I really saw that as our training ground, just as we met mm-hmm. in the park, as we met in each other's houses, just to get them talking, Jesus, talking gospel, talking kingdom, um, talking their quiet time, and just asking how that was looking in their everyday lives what was mm-hmm. how is this moving out? Um, so it wasn't just what they were learning, but how is what they were learning moving through their lives. Mm-hmm. And we began to grow. And eventually, we were 12 solid women and 14 kids, and that's not sustainable in a home, especially my home. And so, uh, I asked the church that I was going to at the time if we could, if I could have a room for the children and a room for the women. And out of that, really sprung the well ministry. It didn't. It's I thought I needed to organize it. I needed to give it a name. I I, I was getting a sense that God wanted to do more than just an accountability group, and um, it was welling up that, you know, this was an opportunity to train women. And so I was doing a lot of that around my table. And as we continued to grow, that had to get organized. You know, you you start as an organism, and then God has to organize the organism. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's really what began to happen. And out of that came um, meeting, just putting together trainings where I was able to because I couldn't meet with everyone. There was a lot of women meeting, and even the women that I was meeting with individual, there were still too many of us. So I had to figure out how to keep that going, the life and life discipleship going, mm-hmm. along with what they were learning in their small groups, but bring a training component um, that was intense enough to be able to break through a lot of the religion and a lot of the denominationalism and a lot of the apathy um, yeah. that we encountered. So well, Susie, um,
0: let, let me jump ahead. in just to ask you, just for some context what uh, what kind of a timeline was it from you meeting this first woman that you began to invest in and it reaching the point where you needed to become more organized in what you were doing are we talking months years 2 years Two years.
1: So there was a two-year investment where there were women who started with me, fell away, and others would join, and others I was investing in, and others were growing. So it was it was a it was very fluid. It was two years, and in that two years, there began this core of women. You know that I felt right. like okay, I I had I had a group that was buying in. They they were changing. They were understanding what we were talking about. Uh, they weren't not they weren't necessarily pushing out with it yet, but they they were they were close enough to say, I want to learn this. I want to do this. Uh, And so it was about two years between going from our homes and meeting in the park before we moved into a campus or onto a campus.
0: And let me, let me ask another question. If at that two year mark, you had for whatever reason disappeared, um, moved to a different town, what, what would have happened to that group at that moment? Do you think at the two year mark?
1: I think that they, many of them, would have fallen away. I don't think there there was so much there was so much sin in the camp. So many, so many theological issues, moral issues. I don't think that they would have been able to stay. They wouldn't have been able to hold the ground and advance anything at that point. It was too new. It was too nascent. Um, right. We're in a culture that's brutal in many ways, and you know, Jesus started with at least there was a moral fabric to the men that he was reaching. We are discipling and we don't even have that moral fabric. So it is, it is brutal out there on, on many levels, just trying to get people to just to let go of some of their idols so that they can actually, you know, surrender to Christ and live on mm-hmm. his terms. So there was a lot of work there, but I would say, um, so those first couple of years were important. I began to see the turnaround at about year three or four where women were were letting go of some things and actually turning around and and doing with others what they were experiencing themselves but i would say for us that was about four years three to four yeah. years before we saw that what was happening to them moved through them
0: yeah and another question just for our listeners so that they have a sense of of the timeline here how long had it been for you just personally from the time that you began to follow jesus until the time when you began to meet with this, this woman in Tampa and it began to grow into what has now become The Well.
1: So that timeline would have probably, from when I committed my life to Christ at 20, I would say at about 30, God began to use me. That was around the time that I had entered the navigator ministry at Fort Campbell. So there was a lot of kind of, other things that God was doing in there. And, of course, I had a seven-year desert. So there was a lot of wasted time in that in that yes. span of, of, of those ten years. Um, I had another ten years at Fort Campbell, and those are rich years. So, I mean, there was, there was, you know, I would say 20 years, but it wasn't. I would say it was more like I had my first two good years, and then I had these seven <laughs> years, and then I had some rich years at Campbell. So there was a lot of preparation for me. You right. know, personally, to get me to um, own what it was that God, well, one, to discover what it was that God mm-hmm. wanted me to do. And then mm-hmm. to own what it was he wanted to do without ever looking back, without ever questioning what God would have me to do no matter where I go. Mm-hmm. So that took some time. And um, so I had that versatile bit of incubation that exposed me to discipleship, but I had no language. I had no context. I didn't understand what was happening. I had my desert. And then I had where God began to give me language and context and opportunity and practice. And he was formulating right. something, you know, and, in me.
0: And then he began to do something there in Tampa. But you're talking another four to five years before yes, that really so. begins to, to come into its own. So I, I want to ask these questions because I think a lot of people, certainly people who are like listening to this, this podcast yeah. yeah they they've they know that the Lord wants them to go into the harvest they're excited about it they're ready and there's oftentimes an expectation that this is going to happen very quickly <laughs> um, and and there's a couple of principles that your story is illustrating one is that this is a lifelong journey for us and uh, just finished reading Genesis in my my daily time in the word with the Lord and and I was reading the story of Joseph. You know, Joseph, by the age of 17, had a vision for what the Lord was going to do in his life. He he knew that there was going to come a time when his brothers and even his parents would bow down before him. But uh, what he didn't know was that it was going to be 22 years before that dream was fulfilled. And there was a lot of hardship in between yes. Joseph getting those dreams. And then it, it's so... Powerful when you read it in, in Genesis, when his brothers bow down and they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And there's this little sentence that Joseph remembered his dreams. Yes. It's so powerful. Um, but he also now had 22 years of, of development to well, prepare and you him.
1: S- yeah. And you see that with David. Yes. You see that with Abraham. Mm-hmm. You see yeah. that even with Jesus Christ. You see that right. with Paul, he gets he gets saved right away, but God doesn't use him in a powerful way. It takes a few years. Right. You know, so it is and we got to settle into the fact that God will call a person, but he also now has to prepare and equip that person because yes. he, your life has got to be able to sustain. There's got to be an infrastructure that he's building in your own life that can sustain the work he's about ready to do. Most yeah. of us really are not ready. Right. We're not ready for the work he wants to do.
0: Yeah. It's, it's one of the reasons why I, I encourage people to fall in love with being a farmer and not with reaping the harvest. Because yes. there's going to be many, many years where there, there aren't those external results. There isn't that return that you get to look at and be fulfilled by. And uh, you just have to fall in love with what God is calling you to become, yes. which the is process. a farmer. Yes. You have to fall in love with the promise. Uh, with the process. Uh, but the other principle that really stands out is even when you're ready, you've been developed and you if you're starting something new, one of one of the realities of pioneering something new, which many of our listeners are, are trying to do and to trust God for. One way of understanding a pioneer a pioneering leader is that he or she is holding things together long enough. For people to catch that vision yes. and grow into that leadership, and and that also takes a lot longer than than people realize, especially if you are starting out with raw material. If you're not importing um, trained and developed laborers from somewhere else, if you're actually raising up disciples and laborers from the harvest, we've got to be realistic about the the time frame that it takes
1: and you can't shortcut it at all, and it can't be about you because if you need to have some that ROI, if you need to yep. show a result, mm-hmm. then you're actually, you know, you're actually, it, it's all false. You, you're, you're manufacturing something that's not there, and you're going to churn out something, get it in front of you so that you can show your trophy right. that's not ready for the work that God wants to do. So mm-hmm. there is a lot of dying to self. There's a lot of, um, is this really about Jesus and building his kingdom, or is this about me building my own little fiefdom? And right. so if there's a lot of, God has got to do a lot of refining, a lot of, is this your ministry or my ministry? Mm-hmm. Are, are, are you trying to get people to follow you and your name or me and my name? You know, So there's a lot of refining. We are, we are, we are, we are more rotten than we understand, hmm. and our motives are not as pure as we think they are. And there is a lot of stripping that God does year after year after year in ministry that we have to be willing to embrace and accept. Because he's, he wants to be able to say to me one day, well done, Susie. And he can't bless anything that's less than that. He's, he can't say well done to something less than that. And I need to covet for them that they would hear well done. And I can't short circuit that just so I could say I've got something to show. For my three years of labor, I've got something to show for the five Mm -hmm. years I've been doing this. There's a lot of stuff that you do in the backside of the desert that gets no notoriety, (laughs) nobody cares about, (laughs) but it all matters. It all matters.
0: What was it, Susie, if you can can highlight for us, what was it at that two-year mark where you saw that this group of women, this two or three-year mark, where you saw that these 12 or so women – we're getting it, even though they had not yet really pushed out beyond the group and begun to reach out, what kept you encouraged and gave you hope and confidence that that was coming?
1: We talk in, at the Well Ministry, we talk in terms of this: the discipleship matrix being salvation, word, lordship, people. These are the four key components that um, this is the DNA of discipleship. It's the picture of a disciple. Mm-hmm. You can think through this grid, you'll be able to see it. So for me, that's been very, very helpful as I saw women taking ownership of the word of God. Their quiet times was not just something they were checking off, you know, mm-hmm. um, and reporting about, but they were they were cultivating a devotional life with God. I saw them, you know, they understood the gospel. They were making choices with respect to the gospel. The gospel still saves us. So the gospel is very real. Um, they were... They were understanding that this was not, you know, the saved are being saved. And those who are being saved have the hope that they will be saved. So I saw the gospel at work in their life. I saw Mm -hmm. this fight for the word of God in their life. And I saw lordship showing up in their life, them laying down different idols, making hard decisions, choosing Christ, um, choosing. Mm -hmm. I could just see that. And so that next real component, and I could see them you know, trying to live out things that they were that they were being exposed to, that they were hearing. And now I needed to give them a proving ground, like Cecil gave to me, an opportunity to just flesh this out in the real world, in a real scenario, in real life. And as we grew, I just knew, I've got more and more women are coming through the through the doors of the ministry, and these are women that I'm investing in. And uh, there's a principle, I think it's 80-20 um, or 80%. I forget what they call it, the Pareto principle. I, I don't yep. remember what
0: it no, is. No, you're on it. it.
1: Pareto, is it Pareto principle? Yeah. That when somebody can do something 80% as good as you can, it's time to let them do it. Hmm. It's time to turn them over and let them do it 100%. And I really believe in that. So once again, not looking for people who are perfect but living, looking for people who are in that process and realizing they're, it's time. It's time to release them, and let's just see what happens. <laughs> so oh, we, we began to do that.
0: So this was at the four-year mark where it really began to to take to, to grow legs and, and grow yes, uh, and take off. And more defined. Yeah, and then how long between then and where you, you ladies are today?
1: So I would say that um, we there was a few things that marked it. So we at about the that two three year mark, things began to happen. Three years into that, I incorporated the ministry. I initially tried to put this ministry under the women's ministry at my church. That became untenable. Um, it it's just it wasn't possible to build an interdenominational ministry under the auspices of one particular denomination. So God began to show me that this was, this was ridiculous and it was time to do something different. And so, um, the next juncture was when we incorporated. um, and then I would say, so that was, there was that another three year mark. So 2005 and then 2008 when we incorporated, it exploded. It was like, God was saying, see, I told you. And so but now with that explosion, it was like, how do I not lose vision? How do I not lose these relationships? How do you keep them moving on mission? How do they take ownership of their own discipleship? So there was all kinds of things that we were that we were wrestling with and knee deep with, and I was constantly in prayer with. Prayer became just huge. It was always huge, but it became even more huge because I wanted it to be central mm-hmm. to what we did as a ministry and that, that it was, it was core to what we were doing. We were always seeking God, asking, asking him to define things. Um, four years later, we realized that we had grown to the point that we could no longer be on that, that campus. We were, um, of the five days of a week, we were on it four days of the week. Mm-hmm. And then took another day to do staff meetings. Mm-hmm. So that we had a higher presence on that campus than the, own, the church had on their own campus. And God made it clear that, you know, you're in a good place, but this is untenable. You need to do something different. It's time to change. And so we actually decentralized a vibrant ministry that was happening during the week, completely decentralized it, and it was nuclear. It was exponential growth what took place when we decentralized, you know, and just basically chopped off the head and just said, let's just see what we do here. Let's see what happens, and bring some organization so that we don't lose vision and mission and spiritual reproduction and relationship. But that um, that they they really sensed they needed to know you're free to go do this in any way God wants you to do it, and you don't need us in order to do it. Hmm. So. And I learned from that, you know, you've got to have two. You've got to have a place where they gather so that you can train, equip, and they, they, you don't feel alone. You feel that you're part of community. But I had, to, I had to release more. And so we had the gathering and the releasing. And we're, we're in this good balance now of bringing women together for equipping and training and development but loosing them to go do the things that God wants them to do. Mm-hmm. And we've seen three things really roll out of that. We see that there are women who want to join us in the work that we are doing as part of this team, of part of this community. I want to do this with you. We see others who are trained up and are empowered by what they've experienced, and they're going into their churches. They're, they're, they're joining work or they're joining other ministries, and, and um, so it's collective. And then we also see women just starting new work, brand new work, and it's a win-win. Every way, the kingdom wins. You know, the churches—I believe the churches are winning. I believe that the kingdom in general, the community is winning. And um, uh, it's just—it's been—it's been amazing. It's been amazing what's been happening.
0: And this decentralization—I think that was a little over a year ago. Is that right? Two years ago. Two.
1: two? Mm-hmm.
0: So you—you—you you, you used a, a phrase there that you—you you cut off the head. Um, So (laughs) 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 tell us a little bit. Tell us a bit more. What did that actually involve for you ladies? What was it that had to be discontinued?
1: So we had a weekly gathering where, you know, well, over the span of four days where women were coming in and we had organized that gathering. Mm -hmm. It was it was organized. What was happening It was very strategic what we were doing. And it was a it was a training ground. It was a way of a, a lot of outreach was happening. A lot of women were, we'd have 400 new women come through the door per session, you know, who had never been a part of the ministry before. So there was tremendous outreach. But what was happening was women were bringing people to us. And I needed I needed to know no 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 no. This is great that you're bringing people to us, but I need you to go be able to do this. So you need to come to us to get training and figure this out, and then you go do the work. So I didn't want us somehow to just morph into the church model, you know, where we'll come and and get really excited by this souped-up Bible study that we're a part of called The Well. I needed them to realize that we are a place where they can get trained up, where they can be encouraged, where they can be resourced. But you need to go out and do something. So we just cut off the weekly meeting, (laughs) like no more, it's done. (laughs) So you want to meet together, go do it, figure it out. (laughs) So,
0: right. But now you, you said that you, you are still gathering for training. So what does that look like?
1: So we, there's a couple of things that we've been doing. So as far as just community builders, so we do a yearly Christmas party. That's just fun. Um, therapeutic in many ways, um, women come and realize that they, you know, they never danced sober before. And that's, that's very good. They, they need to realize that you can, you can dance and you can actually be sober. Um, we started something what we call a pop-up. And it really is where we just kind of, I do maybe a 20-minute message, and they spend time just in community, and they pray with each other for about an hour. And they, you would think that, you know, they, they've gone to a theme park or something. It's so much energy and excitement in the room. So we bring them together to pray, to to hear to hear a testimony, to 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 just experience each other, you know, and to get a, a Jesus-centered, you know, kingdom-oriented, gospel-driven um, kind of a word. That we, that we give them, and then we do our trainings. We have a leader training, we do a teacher training, we do a mentor training. We do different trainings that, that not only resource the women that are leading with us and just kind of advancing what discipleship looks like and what the kingdom looks like and what the gospel is about, um, but we also, these trainings are available to women in the community, so we see more and more women in leadership who have leadership platforms in their churches Coming in and realizing because women serve in our church is unresourced. Mm-hmm. We are a workforce for the church, but we're not a mission field. And so there's a there's a there's a I could go on and on about that, but they need to be resourced. There's very little investment in the women who are actually raising the next generation. Mm. And so we're trying to bridge that gap and and make this investment. Um, irrespective of a woman's denomination or, or anything else. And we're seeing it. We're seeing Catholic, Lutheran, Baptist, non-denoms, Charismatics, you know, um, just just a plethora of women walking through the doors and God is just doing something.
0: Thanks for being part of our community. If you find this podcast valuable, there are many ways you can support it. You can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you happen to listen to it. You can share it on social media with your friends. Or you can support it directly by visiting our website, intotheharvest.org, clicking on the donate link, and becoming a monthly giving partner. When you do this, you'll receive a thank you package with some great ITH gear. Thank you for supporting the show and helping our small team make a big difference for Jesus. It's listeners like you that make this ministry possible.